Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Uh, It's the second week of November, and when I look out in my lounge room in Sydney, I see a sea of jacaranda trees. That's why I've got these, uh, especially for those at home who can't see. I've got these jacaranda leaves. Um, Canvassing the scene purple. Uh, And I think there's one out there, and I think there's one over there. Um, they're, They're not flowering yet in the mountains. Um, as much, but in Sydney at the moment, it is, it's pure purple. And the purpleness seems to mysteriously come out of nowhere. Because in the winter months, uh, it's quite barren and skeletonly and bare. But now, in November, out of nowhere, when I go onto the balcony, I have to sweep all these jacaranda flowers away. And there's a carpet of purple that becomes a sludge and nearly cracked my head twice last week. And it rains purple. The Jacaranda by Douglas Stewart. Touch the tree with your hand. It is only wood, a pillar of rain and earth. And what will you find but rain and earth in its flowers or curious blood? Yet, you cannot hold this tree in a hand of the mind. Its roots in the earth, where some blaze of midnight is lost. Its boughs in the light, wherein more than the stars is concealed. The jacaranda flames on the air like a ghost. Like a purer sky, some door in the sky has revealed. The transformation of from bare branches to dancing jacaranda flames is like an otherworldly celebration of joy. Flames of purple flower that shoots out unexpectedly like a ghost. Jacarandas in November is almost like resurrection, isn't it? from barrenness to lushness, from dryness to flames, a mysterious change concealed in winter shoots out of nowhere and changes the landscape, the grass and the path. Resurrection is a deep part of the Christian life. Resurrection brings wonder and imagination. Resurrection shows the path and the destiny of a Christian life. You might have touched a jacaranda tree on your way to church and felt the bark. I want to invite you this evening to see the resurrection body, just as Mary did, to bring your grief and ask, is it possible? I want to invite you this evening to touch the resurrection body just as Thomas did, to bring your doubts and ask, 
Is it real? I want to invite you this evening to gaze in wonder as the resurrected Lord Jesus rose, just as the disciples did, and ask, can I follow? Touch the body with your hand. It is only a body, a pillar of spirit and clay, yet you cannot hold the resurrection in the palm of your mind only to throw yourself into resurrection. Paul begins in chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The first few sentences, the first four sentences, really, there's three things that Paul weaves. Have a look. The first one is that followers of Jesus are interwoven into Jesus' death. In verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. Hidden, secured, concealed with Jesus. The second thing is that followers of Jesus are interwoven into Jesus' resurrection. Verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. The third thing, followers of Jesus are interwoven into his return. Verse 4. When Christ appears, when he comes back, you will, be, you will appear with him in glory. The death, resurrection, and return of Jesus are not just chapters in a theological textbook. They are the Christian life. They're not just historical events. They are current realities. Death, resurrection, and return aren't even patterns of pathways for the Christian life. Death, resurrection, and return are Christian lives. Because followers of Jesus are woven together with Jesus. Just drop your eyes down to verse 11. Paul talks about followers of Jesus there. Here, as in in God's people, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, not because in the Colossae church there weren't Gentiles and Jews or there weren't people with circumcisions or weren't slave and free, but the point he's trying to make is what at the end? But Jesus is all, he's everything, and is in all, in everyone, woven together with every one of God's people without the previous discriminations. By being bound to Jesus, we are interwoven into the hidden life of God, God the Father. Son and the Spirit. It's like baking a cake. 
when you add the ingredients and uh, you've got the flour and the baking soda and the sugar and the milk. Once you cook it, bake it, you can't unbake that cake. You can't unbake so that you get the flour and the eggs and the milk and the baking powder out. Or when you scramble an egg, when you whisk up the, the yolk and the abdomen and the milk and other things, and then, you scram- and then you cook it, you can't unscramble an egg and take out back the egg and the yolk and the abdomen. That's the beauty of the Christian life. That is the security of the Christian life. It's scientifically impossible under the current laws of thermodynamics to unbake a cake or unscramble an egg. It is spiritually, humanly, supernaturally impossible for any spiritual, supernatural, or human power to unbake, unscramble, or separate God's people from Jesus, not even death. 2,000 years ago, Mary of Magdalene wandered into the garden where the tomb of her Lord lay empty. Why are you crying? Mary answered. They taken away my Lord's body. I know not where they have put him. But in that sadness, Jesus wasn't dead. He was standing right next to her. 2,000 years later, we might be wandering in our gardens, wondering why some of our churches and our sanctuaries and our chapels lie empty. We might gaze with tear-stained eyes, unsure about why our hearts feel spiritually empty. Where is this Jesus who was once so real, so visceral, so powerful? Where did he go? Every day is another day and tomorrow is a Monday morning. But this evening, under the purple jacarandas of birth and rebirth, pause for a moment and hear God's reminder. Your life is hidden, secured, concealed in Jesus. You are bound to his death in baptism. You are bound to his resurrection And you will persevere in faithful uncertainty to be finally revealed as gloriously his. No death, no life, no present, no future, no powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A Christian cannot be unscrambled or unbaked. But when you bake a cake and when you scramble eggs, there's no longer flour, sugar, baking powder or yolks or albumin. There is something new. And Paul describes this something new here in verse 1 to 4. Because you have died, resurrected, hidden And raised with Jesus because you are a Christian, verse 1, since then 
set your hearts, or in the Greek, it's a continuous tense, continually set your hearts on the things above. Verse 3, continuously set your minds on things above. The things above isn't stargazing or finding Orion's belt or watching for swooping magpies. It's not mindless polyannerism or philosophical mulling. What is above at the end of verse 1? Set your minds on things, your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God in power and majesty. Bounded in Jesus means that we continuously place our hearts and our minds and our postures and our thoughts, our everything, on one person. Jesus, the beautiful Son of God, King of the universe, and the true human being. By doing that, our lives become beautiful, serving, and truly human. Let's pause there for a second. When you close your eyes and imagine Jesus, what does he look like? Who is he? What's he doing? Because one-dimensional images of Jesus form one-dimensional Christians with one-dimensional images and one-dimensional relationships because that's the Jesus we continually put our minds on. If the image of our Jesus is only the suffering servant on the cross then we might think that being Christian is only to continually suffer, and we might think Christian faithfulness is displayed in continued repentance. If we, our image of Jesus on the cross is the healing resurrector, then we might think being a Christian is only to seek victory and healing, and we might think that Christian faithfulness is displayed in change and only transformation. If the image of our Jesus is the glorious returner, which we don't have a picture here in here, then we might think that being a Christian is to keep calm and carry on until Jesus comes back. And we might think that Christian faithfulness is only displayed in obedience. But Paul's Jesus, Jesus's Jesus, and probably God's Jesus, is multidimensional, multifaceted. In this passage alone, in these four sentences, there are three dimensions, cross, resurrection, and return together. Suffering, victorious, and glorious together. Repentance, transformation, and obedience. And when we look further down from verse 5 to 17... I think we find even more dimensions of Jesus. Now, I'm going to leave verse 5 to 17 for your small groups to look at more. But verse 5 and 17 are commands by Paul for what it means to be a Christian. But if being a Christian is being more like Jesus, then the characteristics we find in verse 5 to 17, we could say, are characteristics of of Jesus. 
Does that make sense? If being a Christian is to transform ourselves more like Jesus, and Paul is commanding in verse 5 to 17 what it means to be Christian, then what he's describing there is Jesus. Let's read it in this way. Verse 5. Jesus is the one who is pure in desires. He had a sexuality, but and it was pure. He didn't misuse anyone. He didn't pervert anyone. He didn't abuse anyone. He had attractions and they weren't lustful. He didn't undress anyone with his eyes. He didn't objectify anyone. He had enough. He had needs, but he had enough. He didn't want more. He didn't seek more. He wasn't greedy. Satan met him in the wilderness and tempted him with hunger, power, and authority. And he didn't want those things from Satan. The pure Jesus is the safe Jesus who would not misuse, abuse, or manipulate you. That's who I want to be. Pure, safe, loving without abuse or misuse, desiring without manipulation. I want to be like Jesus. Verse 8, Jesus is godly in his emotions. Jesus had a rich emotional life, but he was never, that first word, angry or constantly angry. He wasn't constantly angry. He was angry at the right things and the unfair things. That second word, rage, means uncontrolled bursts of anger. He was in control of his anger. He wasn't malicious or did things out of spite. He did things in kindness and love and righteousness. He didn't slander others. He spoke truthfully in gentleness and love. He didn't speak in ways that cause people to sin like filthy language does, but he spoke to rebuke and to build up. The emotionally godly Jesus is a kind Jesus who won't speak about us behind our backs, who we can trust because he's not in it for the uh, word game. He's gentle with his words but he's also courageous enough to speak his mind, God's mind. That's who I want to be. Kind, gentle, truthful, courageous, and loving. I want to be like Jesus. Verse 12, Jesus is compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient. I want to be those things. Verse 13, Jesus is forgiving. I want to be forgiving. Verse 14, Jesus is loving and united with us. I want to be loving and united with my friends and family and brothers and sisters. Verse 15, Jesus is a peace seeker. I want to be peace seeking. Verse 16, Jesus is rich in wisdom, in the word, and, and he's rich in spirituality and rich in thankfulness. I want to be rich in wisdom, spirituality, and thankfulness. I want to be like Jesus, pure in desire, 
godly in emotions, kind in actions, compassionate, forgiving, loving, united, peace-seeking, rich in wisdom, spirituality and thankfulness. This is the Jesus I want to see when I close my eyes and when I open them. Do you want to be like Jesus? This beautifully kind and wonderfully generous, forgiving and mighty king. 2,000 years ago in an upper room, a young follower of Jesus wouldn't believe that Jesus had come back. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But Jesus proved this young man wrong, that he was real when he entered the room and appeared to Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. 2,000 years later, in a world of cynicism and half-truths and a dog-eat-dog one-upmanship, many might doubt that Jesus is a safe, gentle, kind, loving, forgiving. Unless I see that he is dead on the cross, resurrected from the grave and will return in glory, I will believe. But then look around you at those seated at your left and the right who follow Jesus, or those digitally seated on your left and your right, or in your room seated on your left and your right. These are the nailed, marked hands and feet of Jesus. These are the people, the physical manifestation of Jesus in the midst of us, in the midst of Springwood and Windmilly. Go on, put your finger in that nail, put your hand in that side, metaphorically, walk around and say, look at my nail marks, put my fi- your finger in my side, I will be gracious, I will be safe, I will be kind, I will be forgiving, stop doubting and believe. I said at the start that resurrection is a deep part of the Christian life. Resurrection brings wonder and imagination. It shows the path and destiny of Christian living. And verse 1 tells us something really interesting. Have a look. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. It's the past tense there. Resurrection has already happened for the followers of Jesus. The moment we give our lives to Jesus, eternal eternal life starts. We don't have to wait till we die and be physically resurrected to live a resurrected life. By being bounded in Jesus's resurrection, your life is ignited into new life. It's the jacaranda tree that is suddenly blooming purple from bare branches into dancing flames in an otherworldly celebration of joy. Flames that shoot out unexpectedly, supernaturally, like a spirit. Our current lives, through resurrection, becomes truly human, truly Jesus-shaped. Only when our hearts 
and our minds are set on Jesus. Only when we continuously frame ourselves to Jesus does living like Jesus become our second nature, literally our second nature. If we take up Jesus' commands first before falling in love with Jesus, then we're trying to save ourselves. If we're trying to do Jesus' commands to prove that we are lovable, then we're denying free grace. If we expect people to be living godly lives, but do not love God, then we are selling a false gospel. Only when we surrender to the resurrection, then the resurrection life becomes a part of ours because we cannot control resurrection. We cannot control when exactly the jacaranda flowers. When we surrender to Jesus and set our hearts and our minds on him every moment of every day, our obedience then becomes not a burden, but a gentle and lowly yoke. 2,000 years ago, followers of Jesus stood and gazed in wonder as the resurrected Lord Jesus rose, ascended. They worshipped and stood in awe, looking at the sky and wondered, what's going to happen next? Why do you stand there looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 2,000 years later, followers of Jesus sit and stand and worship the resurrected Jesus on blue couches and red seats and silently ponder on the awe of resurrection and wonder, what's going to happen next? Why do you sit there staring at the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in baptism, we are joined in death, resurrection, and return and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you because the commandments form Jesus' people and surely Jesus will be with you always to the end of the age. Amen.